Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and today we're joined by our first recurring guest, the good, nay great, Reverend Dr. Kevin Adams. If you haven't listened to him reflect on Psalm 1, that was the first podcast in our series that is well worth going back to. Encourage you to do so. And if you did listen, You've heard that Kevin has the unique ability to blend centuries of Christian wisdom and stories, not his own centuries, but centuries of other Christians, with a fresh way of hearing these psalms for our lives today. So I'm excited, and you should be too, for this conversation. So to get us going, here's Kevin reading Psalm 7. Psalm 7. Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. For they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts, My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Those who are pregnant with evil conceive trouble and give birth to disillusionment. Those who dig a hole and scoop it out fall into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praise of the name of the Lord Most High. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks, Matt, and thanks for clarifying the centuries of wisdom are not my own. I appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't want people to get the wrong idea. Well, I appreciate you know. that. Thanks thanks for uh, having me the first time, and thanks for having me back. It's a high honor. Yeah, well, the, the people are clamoring. The people are clamoring for you. <laughs> by, by which I mean, mean the three people. Our, our friend uh, Sam Gutierrez <laughs> did say, I want more Kevin. So there, there has been some clamoring. There's been some legitimate clamoring. So, All right, there's a shout yeah. out for Sam. Thank you, Sam. That's right. <laughs> I'm excited to dive into Psalm 7. You said to me the other day, Psalm 7 wasn't a psalm that you'd spent a lot of time with, which you spent quite a bit of time with a lot of the psalms. Right, right. I have spent quite a bit of time with the psalms, but it's amazing to me in one lifetime, 150 psalms are almost too many to get to know well, but there's a, a <laughs> yeah, challenge for all of us anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive right into our questions because they'll help us you know, have some framework for conversation. Kevin, I would love to know what stood out to you when you read this psalm. 
Well, like I said, it's, it's more on the unfamiliar side for me. But one of the things that stood out is God as the judge, obviously. Yeah. And how that really falls into God being the king. So we just celebrated mm. yesterday Christ the King Sunday. That's kind of where we are in the church calendar. And there's this idea that Christ is the king echoing God the king in the Old Testament. Well, God as king in the Old Testament has all these images with it. So the fact that the Lord is my shepherd is really part of being a king in the ancient Near East. The fact that God is the one who creates the world and then sustains it, who keeps things operational, that COO function, that's because God is the king. And the fact mm -hmm. that God uh, it gives justice and is a God who loves justice and a God who makes justice is a function of him being king. The ancient Near Eastern kings, especially the Israelite kings, were supposed to reflect God the king. And we could even get into it. The reformers especially, and even before that, thought we are all, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're all prophets, priests, and king. And so there's a way in which all of us are called to be like God the king, right? We're supposed mm -hmm. to be people who shepherd and love folks who have mercy. We're supposed to be folks who try to keep shalom going as best we can. And we're supposed to be people of justice, both locally and uh, globally in some cosmic sense. I know it's a lot to kind of take in, but we are just right. small reflectors of God, the judge, who is the king. Yeah. Maybe maybe one more thought. I'm doing a bit of a monologue, I'm afraid, but one maybe one no, more thought. No, it's great. Is that Martin Luther thought the whole Psalms, the whole book of Psalms, which he loved, he said, uh, don't give me these simple little devotions. Don't give me these little duties, ditties. <laughs> they do not have the juice of the Psalter. It sounds very Martin Luther-ish, right? He, yeah. he felt passionately about things. He thought the whole Psalter was in some ways an exposition of the first commandment, have no other gods before me, make God your king. And all the Psalms oh. do is just keep echoing Psalm 1, God's the king, he's the king, he's the king, I say. So that's kind yeah. of a fun thing to think about, right? Oh, I love that. That's very similar to what stood out to me. I was also just fascinated by the fact that it's a very personal beginning right. to the Psalm. There's like, they, this is another kind of Psalm of David, and we don't know the full context. We don't know exactly what's happening. Right. But there's this deep fear of the enemies. But then in verse 7, when he starts talking about God the king, let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. There's like a zoom out that happens yeah. here, right? You can't... I was just fascinated by the fact that David doesn't seem to be able to merely focus on his own troubles without recognizing that God is king over all. And that it's, that, it's the relationship between his personal relationship with this Yahweh covenantal God and the reality that this God is not just David's king, but creation's king, that then gives him the comfort that leads him to verse 17, right, where he's able to give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. So, yeah, I, the king thing I, is fascinating, the king thing, uh, to, to, rhyme, to rhyme our topics. It's the beginning of a song, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll pass that on to Aaron. <laughs> But I just, I think that's so helpful that it, because sometimes when, when I think about God as king, it's easy for me to think about just what does it mean that he's my king? Right. Even language like Jesus is Lord of your life. There's, that's, there's incredible depth to that statement alone that you can mine for a lifetime. But what does it mean that the same one who's Lord of your life is Lord over all creation? And David, I feel like in this psalm, we see the interplay of kind of both there. That's, that's wonderfully so. said, Matt. And that kind of interplay between God as the king of, of us individually, 
and God is the king of the whole globe, how the, the psalm kind of dances bef- between those two is quite, yeah. quite brilliant, isn't it? And it's going to become a feature of the whole Psalter, obviously. But right, And, and it, geez, something Jesus echoes, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a personal prayer, but it's also a cosmic prayer. So it's there's a lot going on there. Dance is such a good word, Kevin, for what these psalms are doing. They, I've been struck by the movement going back and forth, the perspective shifting that they just do seamlessly. And I mean, this is... This is the beauty of poetry, right? right? It makes for these, yeah, incredibly rich and kind of layered tapestries of imagery, which is beautiful. My one little tidbit, I was doing a little reading before this, and this uh, made me smile. In in our NIV, the translation that we use most commonly here at Granite Springs, in verse 9, it talks about the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. Literally, the Hebrew is hearts and kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> It's visceral, isn't it? You feel yeah, this deeply inside. Yeah. Yeah. Which I just I just love that. The the righteous God who probes hearts and kidneys. Which of <laughs> course, I mean it's it's meaning the same thing. It's just it's standing in for kind of our deepest selves. But I read that and it gave me a good chuckle. Wouldn't that be fun, man? I love you bringing this up. Wouldn't that be fun to just walk into a modern medical center and see this posted, you know, like uh, on the wall someplace. The God who probes <laughs> yeah. hearts and kidneys. Right <laughs> before right. you go into surgery. God's going to probe. He's going to take That's care right. of you. Very, very appropriate. That's, it's a surgeon's. It's a surgeon's psalm in some yeah. respects. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh. Well, let's move on to our second question. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Well, we've talked about God uh, as king, and uh, one, we've talked already about one of the features about God as king is that he's the judge. And that's no small thing in a world that yeah. needs justice and in a world where individual people need justice, but whole societies, whole, whole groups of people need justice, and all of us really need justice. I mean, that's we're just celebrating Christ the King Sunday. We're on the verge of Advent, and we long for this King, right, that will bring the lion, a place where the lion will live with the lamb, mm. and the infant will play yeah. over the, the home of the snakes. And we need a God who can bring that kind of cosmic shalom, of which justice is a pretty stellar an exciting kind of feature. So I think that's one thing we learn, and that's no small thing. And I love, you You pointed this out so well earlier, this personal dimension, it begins and it ends with this personal kind of plea for justice or this personal trust in the God of justice. And again, all the Psalms do this dance. All the Psalms have this feature where they're, yeah. they are at once, both personal and they're at once corporate. There's a sense in which a lot of folks think Jesus words are in the Psalms. So Jesus himself is praying the Psalms. It could be that he's the one, mm-hmm. think about him on the cross or some other places who is being slandered or is having mm-hmm. people uh, act in evil intent. But there's also a sense in which all the Psalms are personal for each individual person who prays them. And David begins by saying there's this smear campaign. And it feels to him like folks are ripping him apart like a lion and they're tearing him to pieces mm-hmm. and there's no... There's no just payback he can come up with. And anybody who's had this happen to them knows it's it's kind of beyond you. In the world of internet, especially, mm. it, they're, they're in a world of cancel culture. So he has to, in some ways, give himself over to the one who will execute justice in a way that's both merciful and right. I think we learn that God is the one who can be trusted. You know, some smear campaigns are between people who used to be married. Sometimes they're between people mm. who are siblings, right? Sometimes yeah. they're between people who used to work together. 
Uh, I've seen them in churches, and in every case, they're course, ugly. Yeah. And uh, we rely on one who says, I'm going to make sense of all this, and I'm going to be the truth, mm-hmm. the just truth behind all this. And it's amazing that David has that sort of at the beginning and the end. In between, there's this resting that God's the cosmic judge. Because he's the cosmic judge, he can also be my personal judge, right? That's illuminating for me, Kevin. Like, we're just reflecting on it's beyond it's beyond David. He, he doesn't even necessarily have a solution that he doesn't he have can a plan even, does he? Lean back on, right? <laughs> it's just, oh, this is this is the plan. This is my only this is yeah. my only option. This is building, I think, on just your observation about God as judge. But I was wrestling with the fact that this psalm clearly just says that God gets angry. Yeah, that's interesting, uh-huh. isn't it? And you know, I'd love to process this a little bit with you because it seems like sometimes we either think God, God could never get angry. Like anger has no place in God because he's just kind of love. Everything kind of just moves past him. He's just sort of Zen, Zen God on the, yeah, on the right. edge of the river, separated you know, just from kind emotions. of watching, yeah. separating from everything. Or we tend to think his anger is kind of capricious, vindictive. Uh, he's looking over our shoulder, just waiting for a chance to kind of unleash himself on us. You know, that's kind of the the common sort of uh, rocking chair, front porch, God with a shotgun. Don't trespass on my law, so to speak, uh, vision. And the, uh, what I appreciate is the psalm gives us a different vision. It's It's a directed anger, and it's against injustice specifically. But as I was reading, I still found myself kind of uncomfortable. This verse 11, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. I was like... You know, it gives me, you know, I kind of want to, it gives me the shivers a little bit, Yeah, I think, as I read that. And I wonder sometimes if, for myself, I live in a world that is engineered for me. And another way, another word that is often used around this is is privilege, right? Uh, way of just saying that, that it, is, it is relatively easy for me to live in the world. It, if I walk down the street, no one's going to stop me or question me. Things like home loans, which we're going through a process, are relatively easy to navigate all these things, right? But one of the dangers, I think, of that kind of ease that life can bring structurally and institutionally is that it's so easy for that power to replace God uh, in my life. And then for God to be angry at someone just feels disconcerting. But if you're in a place without power, if you're a person who's oppressed... If you're a person like David, to hear that God is angry about your situation is, in fact, very good news. And it kind of goes back, you know, some of the conversations I've been having with people about the Psalms have been so rich, in part because we've been trying to think in different times, who am I in the Psalm? And I think part of what, as I thought more and more about it, part of what I find disconcerting about God's anger is I realized, oh, this means I have to ask, where might I be the perpetrator of injustice? Right, Because it's far more likely in my life and in my context that I'm perpetrating injustice than that I'm having it perpetrated against me. Just the reality of the world I live in. Well, I think that makes really good sense, Matt. As you were talking, one of the, the thoughts that came to my mind is a quote by Lewis Smedes, who is one of my professors at Fuller Seminary and someone I really admire. He, in one of his books, he talks about anger as the God's executive power of human decency. In other words, if you see your sister beat up on the playground, anger is an appropriate thing. If you see your mom being twisted around at her work by her boss and taken advantage of with sexual innuendo or whatever the circumstances are, anger is appropriate. You see a whole group of people 
relegated or diminished because they have a certain skin color or a certain facial feature or whatever. Anger is appropriate. And one of the things I think when we pray the Psalms, we can easily make the mistake of saying, I need to immediately and personally resonate with what's happening from the psalmist's perspective. But there's also a way in which we pray with the global church around the world. And oh, there are yeah. people for whom anger is, God's anger is a relief and a kindness and a goodness. I know Miroslav Volf said exactly what you said, that if you doubt the need for God to be angry, it's because your life has been a little comfort in your words. You, there's been privilege in which we've yeah. all had, especially in our country, many of us have had. But he would say too, it was such a comfort in his war-torn Eastern European country to know mm -hmm. that God is the God of justice who gets angry at the terrible things that have happened. And there's no substitute for that kind of truth that God cares enough to be angry. But it does, as you said, it's a different kind of anger than we're used to. It's For us, anger is this kind of uh, dangerous, almost precipice. We, It seems like we uh, can fall yeah. off in multiple directions, but God doesn't fall off into the wrong kind of anger. Yes. At least that's the hope of the gospel, right? Right. Yeah, and here it's clear, even verse 12, if he does not relent. Well, the point is, he, he can relent, he will relent, and he'll relent right. when it's righteous to relent. Right. Right. It's it's not, you know, if you get him too worked up, <laughs> he's watch just going to boil over and like, watch like out. Like Grandpa with a shotgun on the porch. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. No, it's a, it's a measured, even that a God who displays his wrath every day, the beginning of that couplet is God is a righteous judge, right? It's predicated on what you're saying. His anger is not a boiling pot that's just going to boil over out of control. Right. It's but, not an unstable compound. It's a holy right. compound yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Which I find sometimes, you know, I mean, this is whenever we talk about God uh, and the Psalms are giving us all kinds of language to do it, but we do butt up against something that's just sometimes hard to comprehend, right? The mystery of his goodness. Yeah. Maybe it's one way to put it. Like how... Yeah, an anger that can be so perfectly measured is hard to conceive of for me. <laughs> you know, I, right. I know my anger is almost never perfectly measured. We can well, talk to I can Rachel say just about never. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's too little. It's too much. It's it's I'm, I'm not the Goldilocks of anger, so to speak. But yeah, that's a beautiful. I think that's actually a beautiful part of this psalm that God's anger is so perfectly measured. Right. Well, let's ask our third question now as we conclude. How does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah, I think uh, that's such a helpful question again, over and over again, Matt. I think we've covered some of that territory already, but just yeah. to kind of summarize again, I think personally, again, when that verse 1 and 2 uh, and verse 17, the beginning and the end, just personally when we are attacked, especially when we're attacked or smeared or taken advantage of, personally, we have someone we can turn to. It's not just because Jesus on the cross could pray this prayer. He said, and Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He had, he had all the Psalms at his disposal. We could, we could think he probably had them mm -hmm. all memorized. He chose a couple of right. them on this, on like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But not being Jesus, it gives us a chance to trust ourselves to the one who will be our judge. Not that we shouldn't also take steps to stop injustice being done. I think the Psalm, as the Psalm as, as a body would give us clear indication that's appropriate. Yeah. But until that gets done, as that's working out, to trust the one who is truly just. And I think uh, we talked also about praying solidarity, mm, uh, praying in solidarity. 
But I, one of the things I love about our rhythm as a church is the liturgical year. So we're reading texts that yeah. sometimes make good sense to us immediately. And sometimes we think, Psalm 7, <laughs> where did that drop out of? You know, as one, for instance, but now knowing again that God's the God of justice and we can think about people around the world. Just on the way here, as I was listening to the radio, they were describing a documentary on the healthcare system in Romania. So apparently huh. in the healthcare system in Romania, at some point, the only way you'd get actual health care is if you would bribe the physicians to take care of you oh, wow. and, for, and before other people. So there was this uh, group of 60 people who were burnt together in a building, young people, and they talked about the, the variety of care and the high mortality rate because mm. some people didn't have money to bribe someone to give them medical treatment. That's something we can take for granted, many of us, that we have access to medical care. But just trusting God to say, you, Lord, that's too big for me. Like, I'm going to yeah. pray with my Romanian sisters and brothers. I'm going to pray with people who have experienced similar things and trust you to be the judge of the whole earth. And it's it's really, as we've said, just repeating myself again, a Psalm-specific way to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's God, do your justice in all its forms. Mm -hmm. I think that could be a beautiful breath prayer. God who judges, that's just too big for me. You know, I was just talking with Rachel recently just about how it feels like overloaded this season, this year has kind of been, right? Just one thing after another. There's right. global loss, there's national loss, there's personal loss, like all these just things that in, in a normal time, if you encountered them one at a time, you'd have to kind of go through a full grief process, right, for each of these. But they have just stacked in some way. And what it means for us to kind of be overloaded. And as you talk, that's just too big for me. Feels like a beautiful, kind of a beautiful way and almost a needed way for us to sometimes pray when it is overwhelming. So I'm just going to say yes and amen. Kevin, <laughs> I love that. Well, and the good news is, Matt, we'll come back. We don't know Psalm 7 especially well, but we know the Psalter and we know this theme is going to be repeated and I think yeah. about Psalm 98 as one example, which Isaac Watts, that great hymn writer, turned into this tune we know as Joy to the World. He did not imagine that originally as a Christmas song, but he did imagine hmm. it as something to reflect Psalm 98, which reflects Psalm 7, which reflects other psalms where God is the judge. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his love. And on and on it goes, right? Just singing about and to the God of justice and trusting him. So it's it's not a bad way to spend Advent or the season of Christmas reflecting on the judges coming. And that's good yeah. news for us. Yeah. Amen and amen. Thanks, Kevin, for joining me for this conversation about Psalm 7. It was, as always, enlightening. Just talking uh, with you, there's another angle and another way to put it that's just so helpful. So thanks. Well, thank you, Matt. It's a treat and a delight to participate in this amazing project you have going on. I think it's really stellar, and I'm really uh, pleased in some small way to be part of it. So it's a treat always to be with you, and especially on this Psalms podcast. So thank you. Well, friends, let's hear this last verse. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. On that note, go out and pray the Psalms. Psalms.